So when World War Three starts, I can look back and know what I was thinking. I was thinking, what did Good morning. This is Ellie Newman on KDPI 89.3 FM, and you're listening to It's Relationship. My guest today is Deborah Hernandez. Deborah is a wife, mother, and marketing communications consultant who has lived in Orange County, California for more than 14 years. She volunteers her time as the communications lead for the California chapter of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America a grassroots organization that advocates for gun violence prevention policies. Thank you for joining me, Deborah. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I'm going to jump right in with um, a comment you made in an email that you sent me. You said that also, Ellie, organizations like ours do not use the term gun control, even though the media still clings to it. We prefer gun violence prevention since the work we do is solely intended to prevent gun violence. And you also made the comment in an extremely diplomatic way. You brought it to my attention, and then you said, you know what, Elle, your interview, it's up to you how you frame it. So I'm guessing that diplomacy is an essential ingredient in your role. And um, I just want to talk a little bit about how aware are you of the terminology that you're using. Well, yes, diplomacy is very, very important, and um, you know we're we're not just paying lip service. Um, you know, in the work that we do, which is a lot of outspoken advocacy for gun violence prevention, it's a very controversial topic. Um, obviously, one of the most controversial, I think, that we see in America today, and I think it's very important to draw that distinction for people that, you know, it's not, uh, oh, I think it's important to draw that distinction for people that, um, you know, there there's a difference between maybe what um, was presented as gun control 20 or 30 years ago and, um, you know, maybe the notion of severe restrictions versus the focus today is on actually, you know, what are the things that we can do that meet that intersection of making us all safer while still honoring the Second Amendment? So, you know, there's plenty of room there to kind of find that middle ground. And really the goal is not just to control something or control something for control's sake. But the goal is to actually... Uh, prevent violence. And as you said, it, it definitely tends to be a topic people are passionate about and also that people take a firm stance on. You know, there's mm -hmm. not a lot of room for conversation. It's a us versus them topic, it mm -hmm. seems, right off the bat. Do you feel like framing it differently by starting to frame it as preventing gun violence rather than gun control? Is that taking... Um, what are people starting to appreciate that there's a, more of a conversation to be had rather than just to adopt a particular position? I think that some people are. Um, however, it is it still remains one of the most controversial topics today, and there are a lot of people that, you know, quite frankly, you know, just don't even want to listen to, um, you know, what. Um, maybe a gun violence prevention organization has to say, 
and then there's some people in gun violence prevention that maybe don't want to listen to what um, gun rights advocates have to say. So I think, you know, on both sides, there's a, a tremendous amount of us versus them, and it really isn't getting us anywhere. Um, but I think what's really important and what I've always believed is really important is that the moderates um, of this world, the people that, that don't really have a dog in the race, <laughs> um, need to just sit down, think about the issues, and what, what do they think is reasonable. And, you know, there's tremendous room there for progress, for for moderate people that, you know, may not be affiliated with either quote-unquote side to just sit there and think, well, you know, what makes sense? And I think that's why, for example, background checks um, enjoy the level of support that they do. If, if you look at polls, you've got as many as um, 90% of Americans agreeing that we should have universal background checks because I think people just see the, the logic in that. Um, we've obviously, you know, at one point in time, we did pass a federal background checks law, but it was at a time when you didn't have Internet gun sales, you didn't really have Internet sales of much of anything. Um, and it was, I think, before people realized how prevalent um, gun show sales were. So I think when most people hear that and they understand that, well, gee, you know, it's kind of like the TSA screening where you want everyone to get screened before they get on the airplane. Well, what happens if you've got a percentage of people that can simply flout that rule I think most people see that that just doesn't make sense, and that's sort of a, a really moderate position that we think um, that we think has a lot of legs in terms of you know potentially being able to pass. And to, to open up the the conversation, so there actually is a discussion, and if it's not going to be between the two extremes, it's going to be a discussion between everyone in the middle, which is more likely the larger population. Right, right. I mean, you know, now of course. Speaking of extremes, I mean, even the NRA at a certain point in time um, back in the, the early 90s said, well, that they don't have any objection to background checks. At that time, you know, even they realized, well, we can't really argue with this. You know, it's very simple. They're, you know, we don't want felons and we don't want um, domestic abusers. We don't want... Um, severely mentally ill people to be able to get a hold of guns. It just made so much sense to everybody that, you know, even at that time the NRA couldn't argue with it, although they've changed their position in recent years. and now That's they what I was going to ask. So they've changed. Do you think they felt mm -hmm. sort of in a, backed up against the wall in a defensive position where they thought, okay, if, you know, I, there's always a lot of talk about when you start any kind of um, quote-unquote control in the area at all, that you're trying to slowly eat away at the rights and that it's going to be a slippery slope and, and a snowball effect. Do you think that's where they're coming from with that pullback in that area? Well, yes, typically they do talk about it being a, um, a slippery slope, and that's the terminology that they use. Um, I'm not a big fan of the slippery slope argument because you can literally apply that to anything and everything. Mm -hmm. Which is the reason not um, to act anywhere. Right, and there's there's a an absolute ocean um, in between, you know, 
in, in, in between where we are today on gun laws and this kind of fear that the NRA per perpetuates that, you know, eventually guns would be banned in America. There's just such a wide ocean in between those two extremes. Um, so, you know, the other reason I really don't believe in slippery slope arguments is that, you know, when it comes to the law, I mean, you see how difficult it is just to get any law changed in this country. And, you know, probably with good reason, we obviously have a system of checks and balances. You know, we have three branches of government. You know, we have infinite ways to appeal and amend. Um, so, you know, if anything in this country, I don't think we're in much danger of, you know, passing a law um, that is incredibly extreme or leads to a domino effect of extreme laws that um, become irreversible. I think, if anything, we're in danger of uh, legislative gridlock, you know, like we see a lot of today. It's kind of the reason why Congress doesn't seem to be able to get much done. So that's that's my opinion on the slippery slope argument. And you formed the Orange County chapter of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. What what prompted you to do that? You know, what prompted me to do that is I continually could not understand these high pro high profile shootings that we would see in the news. I think I was relatively unaware of you know, the situation in terms of just the everyday um, killing that happens in this country, but the mass shootings that you would see, for example, um, something like the Gabby Gifford shooting in Tucson or, you know, leading all the way up to the Aurora shooting in the movie theater, you know, these are things that I'd always think, how, why, how does this happen in this country but it really took a turning point for me when Sandy Hook happened, when the massacre happened there on December 14th, 2012. And I was so just absolutely devastated by the reality of that. And at that time, my son was five years old, so not quite the age. He was in kindergarten, but knowing that this had happened to first graders, it just hit home too much for me, and I, it was like something just propelled me. Um, I started researching and researching the laws and the culture and the situation in this country, just trying to understand what could allow this to happen. I just couldn't believe that this could have happened in America. and. Even though, of course, I knew Columbine had happened and other things like that had happened, you know, the Amish um, schoolhouse shooting, you know, things like this have happened, but I think this is the first incredibly high-profile um, mass shooting at a school since I had become a parent. Um, and it just, it absolutely um drove me to distraction trying to understand and in the course of my research and trying to find out how this could all happen i did stumble upon this new group moms demand action and i just said hey whatever they're doing i want to be a part of it <laughs> and i once that thought popped into my head i just couldn't not do it and had you been 
an activist in any form prior? Had you had something that had moved you so that you thought, okay, I'm going to act on this, or was it a new role for you? It was absolutely new. I had never been an activist of any any kind, really. Um, and it was just something, you know, we kind of call ourselves accidental activists because and do you many... And activists? When I just said it, I thought, okay, now is that, you know, got a pejorative <laughs> meaning as well? Do, does that term, do you guys use it for yourselves? Activists? Yeah. Oh, yes. We, we okay. consider ourselves activists, but a lot of us consider ourselves accidental activists because mm-hmm. there are a lot of, you know, some people have come to our organization that maybe have been... Um, working on this issue for a long time or working on related issues, maybe like domestic violence. and you know. But at the same time, there are a lot of people that came into this organization never having been activists. And just I think a lot of them, kind of like me, were just propelled into it because I think once the idea comes to you that you can't sit by and just do nothing while this type of thing happens in our country, um, you, you don't care what your title is. You just know that you need to get busy working on the problem. <laughs> and was there any type of reaction from family and friends? Were any Anyone trying to dissuade you from trying to make a change in this way? Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, you know, I had to overcome a lot. Um, in terms of opposition from some members of of my family, people that, um, you know, didn't favor my point of view or, um, you know, some friends that would argue differently. Um, You know, my own parents, luckily, were supportive. And so that was was a really great moment for me (laughs) to find out that they were... County, so you live in a conservative place. Um, was it? Were you sort of consciously deciding, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rock the boat here, but it's a difficult choice, but I'm making a choice, or were you already too deep? Has a choice been made already? You know, like I said, like I said, I, I felt so propelled to do something that, that I, I, for some reason, I couldn't not do it. And it's not like me. I'm usually a very deliberative person. I typically you know, consider all sides of things. I analyze everything to death before I go forward with a decision. And I think this was the only thing in my entire life, only thing ever, where I just said, okay, I'm doing this. I'm, you know, I'm powerless to not not go forward, you know. Um, so I think I was going to go forward with it anyway, but I knew it was going to be very difficult here. I live in the most conservative area of one of the most conservative counties in you know in the state of California, if not the nation, um although you know it's changing, but it is very conservative and right around where I am even more so so i I knew it would be hard and so has it changed the topic of discussion at the park and play dates? um I think that you know people are you know I think more than anything, what people are seeing is that we keep having shootings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you bring it up, you know, especially when you bring up school shootings, I mean, everybody absolutely has to agree that this is a problem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and w- there have been um, more than 70 school shootings 
since the Sandy Hook massacre. Um, and, you know, they've taken one form or another, but if you count elementary, middle school, high school, and college campuses, um, that that's what you've got. Um, so I, I think people have gotten to a point where they've become aware and so they, they, they can't deny it now, but still the overall issue, if you try to talk about guns in America, it's not a popular topic here, and I think, you know, I've run the gamut of running into people who I've spoken to that want to argue all the way up to people who said, yeah, yeah, I agree, I just didn't know how to speak out before, and I'm really glad that there's now a way to speak out. And do you run across people as well that it's such a tragic thing and so overwhelming that they don't really want to look at it. You know, if you just say there's been 70 shootings since then, I would guess the average person is unaware of that because even though we may have heard it on the news or we've seen it or, you know, it passed through our mind, it, it, it's not something people are going to want to hold on to, the thought that that's going on. So Absolutely. I, I spoke with one mom one time who, you know, after I explained to her what it is that I – that I do in my spare time, <laughs> my unusual hobby here, um, she said, you know, um, that's really important work and I'm glad you're doing it, but she's like, I'm just so scared, I don't want to think about it. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. Uh, I really do because I think probably people feel feel powerless to a large extent, but for me and for a lot of other people in our organization, I know a lot of us feel better when we're working on the issue. and you know, that feeling of being powerless to stop the next mass shooting, you know, at least if you're working toward a safer America, you can take some comfort in that. But not everyone does. And you're a full-time working mother. You've got a six-year-old son. And -hmm. you said that helping your kid change can sometimes be done in a minute or less. Uh, What did you mean by that? What can someone do in such a short time? Well, we have such incredible tools now with technology especially and um one one of the great things that Moms Demand Action has really excelled in is making activism very very easy for busy moms and you know we put out put out a lot of tools over social media and out on our website that are things like petitions or tools that allow you to actually locate your um member of congress and um, simply click a button, add a comment, maybe enter your address, and send off a note. Um, I think, you know, for a lot of people, it's difficult to know how to write to your congressman or congresswoman. And we've got tools that help people do that. We've got automatic um, tools that allow you to dial a phone number and be connected uh, specifically with um, with an elected official that's representing you. So, you know, these kinds of tools have been amazing. And, you know, a a great example of this was um, the Not One More digital postcard campaign. And this is something that we worked on in conjunction with our partner organization, Every Town for Gun Safety, And what we were able to do with that is we were able to take a statement by Richard Martinez. And, of course, his son was um, killed in the the UC Santa Barbara shooting. 
in Isla Vista. And after that event, he said, well, you know, if if I could just ask everyone to do one thing, I would want them to send a postcard to their elected official um, and let them know that this is unacceptable. We want them to take action for stronger gun laws. And this is something that um, we actually took into the digital realm, and we actually created an online postcard that people could fill out. And it wasn't just another petition. We actually printed postcards, and we delivered them by the box load <laughs> to members of Congress. Um, so we had you know, something like 1.5 million of these postcards filled out in record time. And, so, and what was the reaction? The, re, the reaction, actually, I think it was there was a lot of impact to that because our this is how you take sort of social media or digital media and you take it into the realm of reality because we had people, our own uh, members, all around the nation receiving these box loads of printed out postcards and taking them to their members of Congress. And even, you know, for our local delivery here where we had a couple of members of Congress who, you know, typically turn a blind eye to these things, you know, they couldn't ignore these, that their desks were covered in postcards. And, you know, it, I think it allowed them to see, and these were postcards from their own constituents. Everything was zoned um, by what district you live in. So it allowed them to see that any assumptions they may have made that people in their district didn't care about tightening gun laws, that, you know, that was not, that's not the correct assumption to make. And so, you know, they had to let us in the door um, and they had to say, well, we acknowledge that you're here. And sometimes that's the first step is for them to just acknowledge that there's a groundswell of voters. You know, not not special interest groups, but just voters, people in their their districts that took action. And Moms Demand Change is a national organization. What drew you to this particular organization to be a part of? Well, I think that right after the Sandy Hook shooting, you know, the the organization was formed the very next day. And so, you know, very quickly, you know, the first thing they did was they put up a Facebook page and, you know, how viral things are these days. So that immediately, you know, started connecting people all across the nation. And I honestly can't remember how I stumbled upon that organization, but I, I did. I stumbled upon them and I thought to myself, well, thank goodness, you know, somebody's speaking out and trying to do something about this, um, I just couldn't imagine that we were all going to sit silently by and let the murder of, of 20 first graders um, and six educators just go down in history as, you know, just a moment, and another moment in American history. <laughs> you know, well, you said the, the timing as well, being a mother, may have been what tilted the scale for you to not be able to act. And was that part of the appeal that this was a group of, of mothers? I was thinking also about the success of MAD, uh, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, and the power, and I think unexpected power, that that group had had so long ago. 
With battling threat yes. driving. Yes, and we, you know, we model ourselves very much after MAD, and believe it or not, um, you know, there, MAD faced a lot of the, a lot of similar arguments that we face. You know, there were a lot of people arguing for individual liberties, saying that, you know, it's up to the individual as to whether or not they can decide they're responsible enough to drive home after drinking. Um, I mean, it sounds inconceivable now, I think, but there really were those arguments. You know, people would write their their local newspaper and they, they'd write to the editor and, you know, th- there were a lot of, of those types of things as well as, you know, people talking about, well, you know, there's so much alcohol across the nation and you only have this many alcohol-related deaths, so clearly it's not affecting everybody. You know, these these are the kinds of arguments that we get exactly. Um, And I think that, you know, what was great about what MAD did and what I think is great about our organization is we're not just focused on the laws. One really important thing that MAD did was they got out and educated people and they really changed the cultural acceptance of drinking and driving. Um, and, you know, a lot of what we're trying to do as well is say, that, you know, okay, there are some cultural boundaries, and it's not just about the laws. It's just not about can you do this, but should you do this. And so a lot of, you know, what we focus on is, you know, the educational component, getting the messaging out about responsible gun ownership. You know, gun ownership is not going away, um, we need to make sure that people are owning them and using them responsibly. So, you know, th- that's, if you think about MAD, you can think about, um, you know, one of the very effective campaigns they did was they would put a smashed up vehicle on the lawn of a high school campus a week before the prom, <laughs> you know, just to remind the kids that, you know, this is this is real and this is what can happen if you're going to drink and drive on prom night. So, I mean, that wasn't about laws. They, you know, certainly some laws were passed as well, but you know, it really changed the culture and now increasingly people wouldn't wouldn't think to get behind the wheel if they're drunk. And so let's talk about some of the uh, Moms Demand Change campaign. I just on the website you had a a big success with Target protecting kids with gun sense. Um was that just did that just come about today? Yeah, mom, the uh, Moms Demand Action part of our um, part of our objective is to not only change laws but create you know safe um, safe spaces in public and um, a lot of it comes down to corporate policy. So Target was our most recent win, where um, you know it's it's now part of a string of um, corporate responsibility campaigns that we had launched to get companies to say that, you know, you can't have open carry going on in your restaurant or in your store because it actually does endanger other people. And could and, you tell a little bit what open carry is? There may be some people that, that haven't heard. It's a, a fairly new phenomenon that people are are demonstrating their right to open carry in the way that they right. are. Right. Well, um Open carry is basically the the uh, ability to carry your firearms openly in public. In other words, it's different from 
having a concealed carry permit where you might have gone and done the licensing that was required and, um, you know, maybe even passed a test and been granted the ability to carry a gun for personal protection, you have now people, you have organizations that are encouraging people to carry assault rifles. Um, you know, basically it could be anything from an AR-15 to an AK-47 and to carry them out in public as a way to say that there really shouldn't be any restrictions at all on where you take your guns and what you do with them. So it's a dangerous movement because they, um, and you know, in many states, there's no requirement to have a license or any kind of training to actually to actually do that. And there's um, been a number of incidents lately of almost using the whole meetup. Um, social media approach to getting together and showing up at restaurants and other places where families are with <laughs> people carrying these weapons. It has to be a bit disconcerting. Yeah, um, well, it is because, you know, on a number of levels. I mean, you know, for one thing, um, you've got uh, the weapons are out and they're large and they're unwieldy and they're going to be you know, pointing up, maybe pointing down, they're going to have to be handled, you know, in such a fashion that you're hoping that there's not a bullet in the chamber or something that can, you know, happen accidentally. Um, whether concealed or open carry, there have been incidents in all kinds of um, public spaces, including um, Staples Office Supply Store, Starbucks, um, Walmart, in fact, many Walmarts, um, a Chipotle in Utah where um, a gun was accidentally discharged when the person carrying it, you know, dropped it. And people have been shot that way, or in some cases, people shoot themselves. And in some cases, if you're lucky, it's just a bullet that gets discharged and maybe it ricochets and causes some damage. And you also but, had what seemed like a quick success with Chipotle. You, you, they changed their... Um, stand within 48 hours of, of your acting. Yes, Was Chipotle, that surprise? Uh, I think that, you know, that Chipotle came on the heels of some other wins that we had had with other, um, other national chains. And I think that some of these organizations are starting to see that, you know, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to fight on this issue because most Americans and even a lot of gun owners, um, most people don't want to be out for a lovely afternoon having lunch with their family and then staring at somebody in front of them, you know, out of context with an assault rifle strapped across their back. So, I mean, in addition to the potential for, for accidents, you know, the other thing that's really dangerous about this trend is the fact that people are you know, they will tell you, open carry activists will tell you that they want to normalize the sight of somebody walking around with a gun. And that's an extremely dangerous thing to normalize because we do live in an era where people will go storming into a restaurant or a mall or a church or, um, you know, a movie theater <laughs> or a or school. And they'll have, the, you know, they may have one of these weapons 
you know, and assault weapons have kind of become a, a weapon of choice for mass shooters, but they'll have something strapped across their back. And, you know, it's very important that we use our instincts, our human or animal instincts, whatever you want to call them. You know, instincts for survival are what tell us to hide or seek cover or run when there's danger. And, you know, that's something that our kids need to grow up understanding that it is not normal to see someone walking toward you um, with an assault rifle or with a, a long gun because, really, you don't know that person's intent. And it's very dangerous to go on a crusade to desensitize the public to that. And, you know, they've gotten a lot of backlash, of course, from their own community um, of, of gun rights ab- advocates because, you know, even a lot of them agree that it is very dangerous because you don't know who's coming toward you with that weapon. All right. Well, this is Ellie Newman on its relationship. This is KDPI 89.3 FM Ketchum, and we'll take a short break, and then we'll be back. I'm here with Deborah Hernandez, and we are talking about moms demand change and their relationship to changing our attitude and approach and legislation in relationship to guns in our society. We'll be back in just a moment. Do you want to take a break, Deborah, at all, or do you want to keep going? Um, I can keep going, and I just okay. want to interject that it, it's actually mm-hmm. Moms Demand Action rather oh, okay. than mom, Moms, well, rather that's than pretty, moms that's Demand That's a big deal. <laughs> well, how did so. I get that? Uh, yeah, that's okay. I understand. That. No, that's okay. I understand because it's a long name, so even if you use our whole name, it's even longer, so... I think I actually got it from your Orange County interview, so I apologize for that because then I put the four things I said. All right, we'll come right back when we come back and and, and re- remedy that because it is yeah, a no problem. Because you want people to be able to look it up. Yeah, no, yeah. As long as you know, I mean, it'd be nice if they, if at some point they could go to MomsDemandAction.org and they can read more, you know, understand yeah, more absolutely. what we're about. Absolutely. But, um I hope my okay. answers are not too long-winded. No, they're fantastic. No, that's great. Really good. No, we only okay. have about 20 minutes left. Isn't it crazy how fast it goes? Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah, it's almost been an hour. All right, so we'll jump back in. Okay. Okay. All right, this is Ellie Newman on It's Relationship, and I'm here with Deborah Hernandez, and she has started the local chapter in Orange County of Moms Demand Action. It is not Moms Demand Change, so I apologize. It's Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. And, um, Deborah, what's the website if people want to learn more about it? It's MomsDemandAction.org. Okay, great. And is the slogan, It's Time for Gun Sense in America, is that, I I saw that somewhere on the site. Mm -hmm. I just wondered, is is that the slogan? That's our slogan. We talk a lot about gun sense and... You know, once again, it kind of ties back to this whole idea that, you know, we're not asking for anything really radical. Um, Like, you know, absolutely nobody is talking about uh, let's ban guns and not allow private citizens to own guns. There's nothing like that on our agenda. It's just all about what are the most common sense laws that we can um, enact or um, corporate policies, things that are really, really important that most Americans agree, um, and that evidence, um, evidence-based, you know, research would agree, um, would make us safer. And so they're very, very moderate proposals. 
And so you talked, we spoke a little bit about education, moderate legislation, you know, including background checks. And I also read, you know, the focus on domestic violence and mm-hmm. trying to curb shootings that happen there as well as unintentional shootings that happen in other family situations. Right, that's right. And, um, you know, domestic domestic violence shootings, um, really I think people, you know, they think about that and they think, well, it, that's just between maybe a husband and a wife. Um, but, you know, those incidents really foment a huge number of mass shootings. Um, and it's not always just about, it's not always between a husband and wife. I mean, that's bad enough. Um, but if you think about um, incidents, you know, obviously the the man that killed an entire Texas family um, earlier this month, you know, that is something that you would look at as being a, a domestic violence type issue where it all stemmed from, you know, a relationship that he had with his um, with his you know, former wife and family. And so these are the kinds of things where you, you find out, you know, somebody has shot their wife or they've shot their girlfriend or they've shot, you know, the spouse and the children. And, you know, very often times it extends to other members of the family or it even can go outside of members of the family. So, um, yes, I mean, this is a a very critical topic for everyone to pay attention to. It's really not, can't just be, well, we'll leave that for, you know, the battered women's shelters to worry about. No, it's absolutely something. Well, you, know, you mentioned the, the risk of the desensitization that could happen with open carry and people getting used to the idea of people carrying guns around. It seems that that's already happened, I think, to most of the country with the number of shootings that happens on a typical day. I, mm-hmm. I read one of the statistics, 86 Americans, including eight children, are shot to death each day in America. And there was an article just recently about the number of killings in, in Chicago. What do you feel needs to change to sort of solve for that level of kind of acceptance in our communities with with that high number of, of um shootings as a, as a daily experience. Right. Well, um, the reason why background checks get so much attention as a potential solution is that really nothing else works until our background checks system works. So no matter what kind of a a law it is that you're looking at, whether it's somebody who's trafficking guns um, from Indiana to Illinois to feed, you know, the the gangs of Chicago, or if you're talking about a domestic abuser in, um, you know, New Mexico who, you know, really shouldn't be able to get a gun but can still go to the gun show anyway and buy one without a background check, you know, that's what all of these, these things have in common. All of the policies that are most popular, that people favor, that we agree, that, you know, that law enforcement supports, you know, like cracking down on trafficking or not letting guns fall into the wrong hands. You know, none of this um, can be made to work until we can get a good, strong, comprehensive 
um, background checks law because by some estimates there are as many as 40% of all gun purchases being done um, outside of traditional brick-and-mortar retail. So when you go to a, a brick-and-mortar uh, retailer like Dick's Sporting Goods or something, even a private, privately owned um, gun shop, of course you do go through the federal background check system, but you, um, if you go to a gun show, um, you would not necessarily have to do that. And if you um, are trying to buy a gun online, there are a lot of ways to circumvent that. Now, another thing that happens uh, with background checks and, you know, a law, uh, a good, strong um, background checks law can fix this, is that, you know, currently um, there is insufficient funding um, and insufficient um, regulation in place um, requiring states to report people who shouldn't be able to pass a background check. So all of that needs to get fixed before we can address any of these other problems. You had mentioned earlier a sister organization, Every Town for Gun Safety, and mm -hmm. they seem to be very uh, research-based and focused on, on data, maybe trying to take it, the conversation, as, as you mentioned, into just to more match uh, reasonable minds rather than people that are at extreme positions on one end or the other. They said that 20 times more likely in America to be murdered with a gun than in uh, other countries, and that research shows that Cops will tell you, common sense public safety laws reduce gun violence and save lives. We can put a stop to more than 31,000 gun deaths that happen every year, and we can do it in a way that still respects the Second Amendment. And that seems to be the, the linchpin for something that's going to be successful, is, is supporting the Second Amendment um, while changing these attitudes and legislation in involving guns. Is that the primary focus of um, Mother's Mom's Demand Action for gun sensitive Well, yes, America? we have. Yes, we have a very um, mainstream and actually, um, you know, relatively popular set of um, of objectives. And so, another beyond background checks, we talked about that a lot, and most people support that. Um, you know, what's really interesting is um, one of our other main objectives is to promote gun safety to um, prevent all of these accidental shootings that are occurring where kids will find a gun and either shoot themselves or shoot a friend or, um, you know, or a relative. And we're losing about two kids a week in this incredibly senseless fashion. And actually, you know, most people, um, including gun rights advocates, agree that this is a huge problem that we need to do something about because these are entirely preventable deaths. And um, do you feel that at the NRA that that's even a tricky position for them to take because they do have this here, at least it, it's reiterated again and again of the slippery slope, and that if they sort of admit, even though they may all believe it, that this is an area that something could be done about and an area that something should be done about, they may not want to embrace it because, well, then we are, you know, we've crossed the line onto the other side. Do you think that that exists? Well, um, you know, the NRA, which is primarily funded 
by um, the gun manufacturers. The major gun manufacturers contribute hugely to the, the NRA funding. Um, you know, their objective ultimately is to continue selling guns and sell more and more guns. So, you know, they're, in their perfect world, they would like to get kids out there and shooting as soon as possible, um, you know, train them, um, get them interested in shooting as a sport or, you know, for self-defense purposes. And they will very much tout their um, Eddie Eagle safety program. Um, however, uh, they're also fighting some, you know, very reasonable measures that could be in place that can deter or, you know, possibly even prevent these accidental shootings. And, you know, one example of that is with these smart guns that were introduced. And um, there was a, a gun manufacturer that came out with these biometric guns that could only be actually fired by the owner. So let's say, um, you know, you as a, a mother, you want to have a personal firearm, but you just want there to be no way for your children to get hold of it if um, if you're not in the same room or, you know, if you're not at home. And the biometric guns um, work in a fashion that you need a fingerprint identification or you'd need some kind of a, a watch or something that has an actual uh, sort of unlocking mechanism that would signal to the gun that it's ready to be fired. And, um, you know, gun rights advocates, maybe not the NRA officially, but gun rights advocates came out hugely against this because they were concerned that that technology would be required um, across the nation. And so that was the argument there. And so even though it can save a lot of innocent lives, you know, the thought that, you know, this could ever, you know, this superior technology could ever be required. Be mandated and that would then limit some gun use. And so right. as, as an organization and personally, do you just not even discuss the Second Amendment? I mean, is that just, yes, of course we want to protect the right to the Second Amendment. It's just such an interesting uh, standard, you know, for literal interpretation when you look at the historical environment that motivated the amendment. And it's such a different landscape today that I know a lot of people get stuck on arguing about, you know, whether or not that's what the Second Amendment really meant and is it still valid today. As an organization and personally, do you just not go there because it's really not relevant to the changes that you want to make? Well, that's correct. I, I don't think that, you know, that most of us envision a world where only police officers and members of the military could carry a gun. And I don't think that's realistic and I don't think it's it's right for that matter. Um, you know, for example, you know, I live in an, in a suburb or urban area, whatever you want to say, but I completely understand that there are people in, you know, in Idaho or <laughs> Alaska or, you know, other parts of the country where, you know, your gun is what you use to hunt and actually put food on the table or it may be something that you use as part of your job if you're a rancher and you've got to, you know, ward off predators from your, you know, your flock or your herd, um, you know. So it, it's just probably really unrealistic um, and doesn't make a lot of sense in 
this large, um, you know, frontier type, you know, nation that we have to to tell people that they can't have a firearm. So I understand why people have them. And, you know, even if you get down to self-defense, you know, I think that there's a reasonable argument there um, for wanting one for self-defense. But we are encouraging people to take steps to use and keep and store their firearms responsibly. And I think that that is, you know, what would potentially be um, the most fair and the most viable and, and make the most sense. But, it, you know, none of it really matters in terms of what I think because it is enshrined in the Constitution. So, you know, it's obviously a poorly written amendment because we've had so many cases that go as high as the Supreme Court um, arguing about what the language may or may not mean in the Second Amendment. Um, but, you know, nevertheless, I mean, it's it's there, and there's obviously some intent there to say that, you know, it's not a special person, but it could be any person that could have a firearm. You you had said your, your personal opinion was you respect the law-abiding individual's right to own a gun for self-defense or hunting and believe in addressing all causes of gun violence. As part of the solution to America's gun violence problem, you urge mom, dads, and other citizens to advocate for moderate, common-sense gun laws and corporate policies, changes in those. What do you feel like, you know, it's difficult for people to change and to start thinking about something differently. What do you feel will be the main thing that will push people off of their long-held positions and going from from blame to change and from, from sorrow to, to action? Well, we do see a direct cause and effect every time, you know, you would think with so many mass shootings that occur in this country, you would think that um, people would become completely desensitized to them. But we do see a surge every time there is one of these shootings. You see a surge of, um, you know, people joining um, organizations like ours. Um, so the, the membership ranks go up because, you know, that unfortunately, I mean, if there's one thing that you can count on, is it's that there will be another high-profile shooting in uh, in America. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's also the everyday shootings that occur and, you know, 33 people are murdered um, at the end of a gun every day. And so, you know, unfortunately, we are part of, I guess, this this club that is always acquiring new members in the worst possible fashion. And has there been a personal price for you to pay? I was looking at some of the comments on um, online to an Orange County interview you had done. And I'm just wondering how you deal with that. Some of the remarks, you just wonder, who are these people? But, you know, they were not only personal against you, but sort of even against your son as to, you know, was he a, a tough enough kid? I'm just wondering how do you look at something like that and, and deal with it? Do you just shrug it off? What keeps you going and, and working towards this end? You know, um, unfortunately, members of our organization are not only subject to um, nasty comments, but we're also subjected to threats of violence, sexual violence, um, you know, very overt and covert types of threats um, that are made either personally or generally against us. And so, it, you know, it goes beyond just 
sort of despicable comments. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the way I look at that is, of course, you've got a group that wants to, wants very much to intimidate us as a way of making their point and, you know, furthering their agenda. And while that may be scary, I always just stop and think to myself, you know, how scared were those children um, at Sandy Hook Elementary when they had to watch their classmates be shot to death one by one? I mean, someone was the last little person, you know, alive in that room to see that. And I think of the fear that those kids or, you know, kids every day are feeling. And I just think... You know, how can I sit there and be silent just because I don't want someone to say a bad word to me? You know, I can't just sit there and let the other side win um, because, you know, we we would never have any great progress in this country or in this world if we just did what was comfortable for ourselves. You know, you have to get out there and put yourself on the line to one one extent or another at some point if you want to see any change. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Deborah, on its relationship. And it was great having you as a guest. Ellie, thank you so much for the opportunity. And once again, can you just uh, let people know where they can learn more about the organization? You can learn more about us at momsdemandaction.org, and we also have a partner organization that is everytown.org. And if and you so are, are like, all the moms in the mom organization, and then the data? Yeah. If dads you feel are like, in the uh, every town. You know, we actually have dads as well. Um, and in fact, we have a dads chapter. We have statewide chapters. We have one in every state, but we also have a dads chapter. Um, but if you feel that, you know, the, a mom-based organization is not right for you, then I would encourage you to check out Every Town. Um, it's a, a great organization for just anyone and everyone, and you can look at both websites. They have a tremendous amount of information um, some really incredible videos that get across some of these is- issues that we've been talking about and a lot of um, facts and research, as you noted. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Ellie. It's fake. I say done work, waking up, pay me up, 9 to 5, 5 to 1, 1 to 8, 30 in the morning. Give me five more for my me time, pray at work, give me five more for my knees time. I don't even need rhymes, I supply rhythm, it's giving equations, X's, I'm letting the sentences run like the period.